This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you're here today. Today's episode on the podcast is with Dr. Stacy Sims, a forward-thinking international exercise physiologist and nutrition scientist who aims to revolutionize exercise and nutrition and performance for women. She has contributed to so many international publications and is super well-known in the sports industry. She's published over 70 peer-reviewed papers, several books, including the book Roar, which I have and highly recommend you checking out if you want to learn your cycle for those of us who are females and how to train and race at any time of the month to our fullest potential. You may know of Dr. Stacy's TED Talk, Women Are Not Small Men. She has a bunch of micro-learning courses right now, and if you want to check any of those out on a wide array of topics, you can learn about your menstrual cycle, iron supplements, collagen supplements, adaptogens, low energy availability. She covers an array of topics. If you go to drstacysims.com, you can find her micro-learning Courses. I will also link it in the show notes at sandyboyproductions.com. And you all can use the code Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, for 20% off all of her courses. Really excited to share this information with you today. Today, in my conversation with Stacy, we talk about the menstrual cycle and how we can train and race to our fullest potential at any point in our cycle and what we need to do at different points in our cycle and what different phases mean and why we're feeling this way or that way. Such a great conversation that is important to be, you know, I think more than anything, talking to our young women about why are we learning this in our 30s and 40s? Let's get educated early. So if you know anybody with a younger athlete or a, you know, a college age, anything like that, send this episode to them so they can learn about their bodies now. Knowledge is power, right? All right, and Stacy is going to come back on the show in a couple weeks, and we're going to get into perimenopause and menopause as well. But for the sake of this conversation, we stuck to the menstrual cycle when you're still getting your period on a regular basis and how your training can be affected by that and how you can do different things to empower yourself so that you can feel the best you possibly can all throughout the month. All right, friends, if this feels valuable to you, if you enjoy this conversation, leave us a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify. I know I say that every week. I really mean it. I check those every single week. We give away a pair of Gooder sunglasses every single month as well for new ratings and reviews. I love this one from Mix Warm. Been listening to Lindsay for a number of years and still get excited for new episodes. Thanks for being a great training partner on my runs. I love that I get to be the training partner for many of you. Thank you for taking me with you on your runs. All right, friends, please, please, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Stacy Sims. Well, today on the podcast, we have Dr. Stacy Sims on the show. Welcome to the show, Stacy. Thanks, Lindsay. Looking, looking forward to this. This will be fun. So excited to talk with you. I know many, many, many of my listeners have read your books and studied your work, and it's a real honor to have you on. Oh, thanks. We just finished a nutrition series on my podcast, a six-part series where we really talked about fueling a lot. And I thought, and every time I coach a new athlete, I always talk to the women about their cycles. Like I want to know about that a little bit more, and your work has encouraged me to do that. So I thought... It would be really cool if we could just start there and break down training and fueling around our cycles. And to the men listening to this podcast, some of you might be coaches. This could be really helpful for you. Some of you might have a partner that this could be really helpful for. So this doesn't have to be- Or a daughter. A daughter. Because listen, why aren't we starting there, right? That's exactly it. Yes, I know. I get into these conversations where people start keep asking me about menopause and perimenopause. They're like, hey, let's bring it back to the start at puberty. 
where all the things start changing and we see and we're very aware of how things change with our daughters. But then when you get to the other end and things start changing, people are like, what's going on? It's like their hormones. So let's start there. I have a question about that. Do you do you think that it's being talked about more? Because I mean, so I was born in the 80s. And when I started my period, I just started stealing tampons from my mom, to be honest. Like nothing was ever talked about. It was just like, okay, I'm going to start taking tampons from you now. Um, and I had no idea, like, why do I feel like this the week before my period? I Nobody ever explained those things. And even in basic, like, sex ed and things like that, I don't remember any of that being talked about. We just knew that we had our periods once a month. Right. Yeah. No, nobody talked about it. Nobody talked about it. I remember um, my mom left a, a Ann Landers book <laughs> under my pillow, and that was the conversation. <laughs> so I was like, had to ask my sister, what's going on? Yeah, um, I think the globalization and awareness of menstrual cycle, especially in sport, has become prolific in the past about four or five years. So more and more people are talking about it. And it's filtering down to parents who are coaches. And they're like, how do I get how do I help my daughter through this? So it it's starting to become more and more discussed at early ages. It's still a little bit taboo, especially in different pockets. But it's I feel like it's so much easier to talk about now than when we were growing up, mm-hmm. even easier than like in the 90s. So yeah. there's hope. So when when a young woman starts her period or like loses her period, we've talked about amenorrhea quite a bit, read us on this podcast. When that happens, like, can we give some hope to people about getting it back and that not Absolutely. all is lost? Absolutely. Yeah. So um like my bread and butter for a really long time has been working with elite athletes who cannot break contracts. And the it's prolific of, you know, the mentality of if I lose my period, then that means I'm fit enough or I don't have to worry about it. Until they start losing power, they start getting the threat of, of losing their contract and they're like, oh my gosh, what's going on? So what we do is we look at the overall, we look at the calories and the energy expenditure and specifically the timing of the food coming in. Because if we are fueling for the stress, then the hypothalamus is like, hey, okay, I can send the signals that we have nutrition coming in and I can deal with this stress and I can adapt to it. But if we don't fuel for it and we don't recover from it, the signal to the hypothalamus is is more of a threat. Oh my gosh, we have to mm. conserve, 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 because we have to we have to save this body so that we can have survival of the species. That's the whole biological aspect behind it. So when I explain that to my athletes and I'm like, hey, look, we know you can't break a contract, but we have to get your periods back. We have to get that luteinizing hormone surge back to get estrogen back so that you have a cycle. Because if we have a menstrual cycle, then we know that you are healthy enough to take on daily stress as well as training stress. So we drop the volume significantly and we maintain small bits of intensity and really build strength because we can keep performance going if we're doing a lot of strength training, but it's not um, fuel depleting. It's not cardiovascularly taxing. So the same signals aren't going to the hypothalamus that we don't have enough nutrition coming in. So we match what we're doing with the fuel coming in and around the training and we take a that picture of, okay, it's not volume. Let's drop that volume way back and just really focus on the quality and the strength build. And over the course of two to three months, they get that luteinizing hormone surge back and they can get their periods back, even though they're still racing or competing at a high level. So it's, it's not a loss. Like a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, I'm amenorrheic. I've been amenorrheic for years. I'm not ever going to get it back. And so why do I bother? It's like, there's a reason to bother with it and you can get it back. Sometimes it takes six months to a year. Sometimes it takes two or three months. It depends on how your body's responding, if you've had any undercurrents of other problems, but it's definitely feasible to get it back. And it's really, really recommended to get it back. What do you say to someone who that, like, if that scares them? Like, I'm afraid I'll lose my performance. I know people are like, but what if I had to put on body fat? What if I put on weight? It's we know for sure that losing your period is not associated with body fatness or weight. It has to do with energy and nutrition and energy density. So a lot of times when people start eating again, they actually lose body fat. So this is the thing. It's a really counterintuitive message, especially from us growing up, you know, in the 80s of 
of the Jane Fondas and the supermodels and the calories in, calories out, eat less, don't eat at all, get skinny. So that mentality is pervasive and it's still within the, the fitness and, and sporting world. So when I start saying you need to eat more, especially fuel for the stress and people are like, ah, so we start small. We're starting like with 100 calories on either side of training. And then they start feeling better in their training. They start having more cap capability of hitting higher intensities, of recovering better. Their sleep starts getting better. And we start to put in more calories in and around the time the body needs it. And the weight comes off. The body fat comes off. The lean mass comes up. And they're like, whoa, what's going on? Initially, the first three to four weeks, the weight on the scale is going to go up. Mm. But it's not indicative of body fat. It's indicative of now we have more glycogen stores. Mm -hmm. Now we're building lean mass. We're not putting on fat. We're putting on the stuff that your body needs to perform well. So there's a lot of coaching that goes involved in, in like tweaking those things. But then when we start to really see the outcomes that people want with regards to performance and lean mass and feeling better and sleeping better and not having that dead end fatigue, then things start to come together and they're like, I get it. I get it. And not just about how much more fuel, but also when you're fueling. It's more important about when we are fueling. So what happens if I take that step back and look at the endocrine system, right? We have your, your menstrual cycle and we look at the menstrual cycle as a series of pulses. So we have pulses of estrogen daily, progesterone daily, luteinizing hormone daily, and all of it is being signaled from the hypothalamus. Uh, so the hypothalamus is perceiving all sorts of signals. And one of them, especially in women, is carbohydrate and nutrition availability. The reason for our sensitivity being so much higher than men's is we have two areas in the hypothalamus that have what we call kisspeptin neurons. So these little neurons are responsible for reading those signals of appetite hormones, of carbohydrate availability. And if we don't have enough coming in, and then we have this high stress of exercise or this long period of time of no food, those neurons get shut down. And if those neurons are shut down, there's no signal for these pulses of our hormones. So we know after four days of low energy availability, meaning that you're not eating around training or you might be bookending your calories, we start to get this downturn of these of these neurons, which then tells the thyroid, hey, we need to start conserving. Our resting metabolic rate starts to go down. And all of this affects that pulse of these hormones. So then we start to get a drop in that luteinizing hormone daily pulse. And if that drops off, then we don't get a signal for that estrogen surge. If we don't get an estrogen surge, we don't have ovulation. We don't have ovulation. We don't have progesterone, have anovulatory, and those hormones flatline. So it can take as little as two cycles. But then we know that when you have three subsequent months of no cycles, you're technically amenorrheic. So it does not take very long to get into the state. But if we look and go, okay, I am very conscious that I have a super busy day, but I'm going to get up, I'm going to do some training, and then I'm going to get on my day. We get up, we have maybe 30 grams of carbohydrate. So it might be a coffee with um, sweetened almond milk or oat milk in it, and maybe a little bit of protein powder or something, a half a banana. We do our training, we come back, we have breakfast, and then we get on with our day. And we ideally would eat on a regular basis, but we know how every woman is super busy and we forget to eat or we don't have everything or it gets delayed. But as long as we've taken care of that nutrition in and around training, the hypothalamus is like, hey, wait, okay, there is stuff. So we don't get that perturbance in the kisspeptin. The longer we delay fuel after training, the more we stay in a breakdown state. So we get that perturbance in those kisspeptin neurons, but we also lose our lean mass because the first thing to be broken down for fuel to support us in this breakdown state is our lean mass because it's very, very hungry for fuel. It's very energetic. So for women who are like, hey, I'm trying to lose weight and I'm trying to build performance, but they're not fueling appropriately. It's like, why are you going to the gym? Why are you doing this? Because all you're going to do is break down the lean mass you're trying so hard to build. Mm. I'm super curious for men, like in the morning, I always get on my husband because he'll like go run for an hour and he won't eat first because he's just like not hungry yet and he just gets up and goes. He has coffee and goes. And I'm always like, intermittent fasting isn't good. He's like, I'm not intermittent fasting. I just get up and run. Does it matter so much to him? 
No. So all the research that you're seeing, like on fasted training and intermittent fasting, that's so beneficial has been done on men. Now, when we look, what's happening is men fuel, their bodies fuel differently than women. One, they tend to clear out their, their carbohydrate really quickly from their liver and their muscle. Women don't. We go through our blood glucose first, and then we start tapping into our fat, but not like subcutaneous belly fat or thigh fat. It's all in the muscle. And we don't tap that much into our liver and our muscle glycogen like men do. So if we get up and do fasted training, we clear out our blood sugar really quickly. And then we have this increase in cortisol because we have to get into that fatty acid use. So what happens is a backlash. So women, when they do, quote, fasted training with the idea of, oh, I'm going to increase my fat burn, mm. it's not the same as men mm. because we aren't trying to spare carbohydrate to get into fat burning. Whereas men are trying to teach their bodies to spare that carbohydrate and get into fat burning, trying to be more like women, mm. which is kind of funny. And the other thing is because men only have one area in the hypothalamus for that kisspeptin stuff, then they have a greater window of not eating and not having any kind of perturbance. The best way I can state it is if we look at what the baseline calorie needs in a day for women, we know that. 45 calories per kilogram of fat-free mass, so that's your bone and your muscle and the water and everything, is the baseline set point for sedentary women. And when active women come into play, we need a little bit more. But 45 is the baseline for sedentary women. For men, it's 15. Hmm. So when we start looking at what's happening, there's this huge threshold difference, right? And when women drop below 30, that's where we really start seeing these endocrine discrepancies. And so many women are sitting in that 30-ish, maybe 35 calories per kilogram of fat-free mass and sitting in this low energy state and always feeling like they're fighting their training and they're not getting anywhere. They're not getting the results they want. They're not sleeping well. They might be putting on a little bit of belly fat, which then feeds forward to, I'm not training hard enough, but it's just because they're not eating enough. Mm. So this is super basic after all of that very scientific stuff you said, it's not as big of a deal if a man goes and runs for an hour when they wake up in the morning. And you know, my husband's not doing it because he wants to be lose weight. He's just like not hungry and he doesn't care. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. But we need to think about that more as females. We need to not, not care. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And for your husband who goes out on, on a black coffee for a woman, it's as simple as taking a coffee and throwing a scoop of protein powder in it. Yeah. And that takes care of it. It's not that difficult. You just have to have a little bit of extra detail because your physiology as a woman is different from a man. And if you want to get the best out of what you're doing, you just have to have a little bit more of an eye to what your physiology and your body needs. I'm not even really sure how anybody does it. I I get nauseous if I don't eat within like the first hour of being awake. Like my body is telling me you need food right now. Yeah. A lot of people will become very disconnected to what it means to be hungry. Mm. And they'll perceive um, like afternoon fatigue as needing coffee, but not food. Mm. Or they might perceive that low like irritability when the kids come home as the kids are coming home. So we do this. I do this thing with a lot of my clients and athletes. I'm like, okay, what I want you to do is I want you to eat breakfast. And then I want you to have something around 11 or 12 o'clock. And then I want you not to eat for the rest of the day until like six. And I want you to write down how you feel and what time it is. You can drink water, you can drink whatever you want, but no coffee, no caffeine. I just want you to write down. And over the course of three days, we start to see these patterns. And we're like, that's that cue right there means you're hungry. Mm. And they're like, what? And so the next few days they'll eat something when they start to feel that way. And it changes their whole day. Now they have more energy, they understand it, they have the capability to deal with high stress problems in the afternoon, in the evening, and it's because people are so disconnected, they don't know what their hunger cues are. So yeah, we, because we're aware, we're like, I I have to eat, I feel nauseous. Like if I don't eat, then I'm gonna get very hangry and I am gonna get nauseous. But other people are just think that's part of the day because they didn't sleep well or they're too hot or maybe they're dehydrated. They don't realize that, oh wait, I'm hungry. Hey friends, a quick break here to thank Prevenex for supporting this episode of the podcast. 
Cravenex is where I go for my multivitamins and supplements, particularly the Joint Health Plus is such a great supplement for runners. It protects your joints. I've had so many people come to me and say they couldn't believe how well the Joint Health Plus worked and how much better they feel from using it. I am a big fan of their protein powder. I use it pretty much every day. My kids use it as well. It's delicious. They have vanilla and chocolate. It is vegan and it is tasty to just shake up with water after a quick workout, or you can make a really delicious nutrient dense smoothie with it. I actually sprinkle it on bananas and peanut butter for my kids. They love it that way. And there's just no other company I believe in, like I believe in Prevenex when it comes to vitamins and supplements and protein powder, I should add. Go to Prevenex.com, use the code ANOTHER for 15% off your first order, or you can use the code LINDSAY15, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-1-5 for 15% off. Go check it out. They have a money-back guarantee on all their products, so if you are not 100% satisfied, they will make it right with you. But I have a feeling you will be satisfied. Prevenex.com, use the code ANOTHER or LINDSAY15 for 15% off your order. All right, back to the show. Um, let's walk through the four phases of your menstrual cycle and talk about training throughout and fueling throughout. But I guess just start with the phases. Yeah. So if we look at what a typical 28 day cycle is, and we know that women for a normal, like full cycle is anywhere from 25 to 40 days. So the first day of bleeding is the first day of your follicular phase. So that's your your um, low hormone phase. And some people call the first five to seven days the menses or, or the early follicular phase. And then after the bleeding is over, we call that the mid follicular phase. Then we have ovulation, which occurs around day 13 or 14. After ovulation is the luteal phase. So we have the early luteal phase, and then we have the late luteal phase, and then we start bleeding again. So there's lots of different nuances of how to describe what the phases are, depending on what all you're trying to get into. But for the conversation about training, we're going to go early and mid follicular, ovulation, early, late luteal. So early follicular is that first day of bleeding through your bleed phase. And a lot of women feel like they are not supposed to do anything hard during this time frame. But what we know is that the body is really primed to take on stress. We can hit it hard, recover well, not only from uh, that training and muscle aspect, but from an immune system and a cognitive function. So we know that our immune system has changed so that we can really be able to fight bacteria and virus. The body's very uh, stress resilient because it's going, okay, great. I didn't get pregnant last time, but this time I'm going to really make sure that the body's super prime so that if ovulation happens and the egg is fertilized, that I have a really good, you know, body to be able to handle this. So in that early bleed phase, you can hit it hard and recover well. Now for women who feel really flat or they're have heavy menstrual bleeding or they're heavy cramping, in those days, you can do some um, short Tabata type high intensity work. And those short, sharp sessions will create a, a release of growth hormone and anti-inflammatory responses, which actually helps get through that. Then after the bleed phase in the mid follicular to ovulation, again, this is high intensity work. It's heavy load. You can recover well. You can try to hit PRs and, and do what you, you want to do with regards to that high intensity. Around ovulation with an estrogen surge right before the egg drops, you have another opportunity to hit it hard because estrogen in itself is anabolic. So, you know, hit it hard, being cognate that in some women, estrogen increases the elasticity of a lot of tissues. So if you're going to be doing heavy weight training or trying to hit a PR, you have to be very cognate of form. If you're doing running drills, warm up well, do some running drills and then a track session. So you just have to warm up a little bit better just because you have a little bit more elasticity, but you also have the ability to hit it hard and recover well. After ovulation in the early follicular phase, this is where we want to drop it more to steady state work. So you're doing threshold work. If you're doing cardiovascular stuff, you're doing a little bit lighter weight, more repetition for resistance training, 
until around the five-ish days before your period starts. And this is the late luteal phase. And this is where we have such a change in our immune system. We have a change in our cognition. We have a change in reaction time. The body is not very stress resilient. So this is where we want to look at deloading, working on technique, working on drills, economy of movement, fully recovering. So then when we get to the bleed phase or the, the actual menses part, we can hit it hard again. So it's kind of undulating periodization through the menstrual cycle. I don't want to do anything in that phase right before my period, like that five I days. I want yeah. to lay on the couch, eat potato chips, and cry. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And part of it has to do with the inflammatory responses that the body is undergoing. So we have a huge inflammatory um, shift, and that's how our immune system works. But if we're also looking at the way estrogen, progesterone affect all parts of the body, we have a fluid shift. We have estrogen that's crossed the blood-brain barrier that's affected serotonin. And then as estrogen starts to fall, so does serotonin and dopamine. So this is why we feel depressed and, and a bit anxious. So if we look like, how do we block that? How do we prevent that? If we are using or eating protein along the way, and we have a greater amount of leucine that's circulating, leucine crosses the blood-brain barrier using the same mechanism as tryptophan. And if we can block tryptophan from getting in the brain, we have less serotonin. We have less serotonin, then we don't have as much as a fall. And so our mood stabilizes. So it's being cognizant of what kind of nutrition you're taking in. So upping the protein in the, about the five days before really helps with mood. And our metabolism is elevated a bit, so it helps with cravings. And if we're looking at, you know, the whole don't salt your diet because you're bloated thing, that's the opposite of what we should be doing. Mm. Because we've had a fluid shift and we've actually lost fluid from the blood, but we want to pull it back into the blood. So we need some sodium. So give in to your cravings. So it's so interesting to me, though, like, and I always felt like this when I was pregnant, too. Why is it that I crave so many carbs and just like white starchy, yes, salty but like to me during that time before my period and also usually when I'm pregnant, like I just want the crap. Like I just want the chips and the macaroni. And why is that? Because um, your body is trying to develop and grow tissue. Yeah. So if we look at what progesterone's job is, progesterone's job is to break down everything that's coming in to provide the building blocks for the endometrial lining. Now the endometrial lining is super lush with blood, blood vessels and lots of storage carbohydrate because it's trying to create this really beautiful environment for a fertilized egg. So if we're looking at what's happening in those few days before your period starts, this is the last hurrah for progesterone. And it's like, hey, we have it, we're waiting, we're waiting, we better make it better. We better gotta really make this lining really lush. So you start really wanting the simple carbs because your body is like, I need more carbohydrate to throw into this endometrial lining. And again, your metabolism goes up by 150 to 300 calories because you're building all this tissue. And your immune system is also trying to help as well because it's like, okay, we're building all this tissue. We're also breaking things down. I have to be on high alert in case something happens. So it's also using a lot of magnesium, it's using zinc, it's using carbohydrate, because there's so much building going on. And the peak of that build is around the five to seven days before your period starts, when everyone starts experiencing this PMS and the craving and the bloating. And it's your body's response of, we're trying to build this tissue, make it really fantastic. And if there isn't an egg that comes in, well, we didn't do it well enough, we'll sloth it off and we'll try again. Hmm. So we mentioned, you mentioned the protein, upping the protein in that five days before. Do we want to go through like changing the way we eat throughout or is it more basic than that? Like we eat the same mostly and just up the protein right before? There are some inherent shifts as we look at what happens. So in the low hormone phase, we can access carbohydrate pretty well. And we can recover well, and we don't have to worry so much about, you know, what are we doing with regards to carbohydrate protein? 
But after ovulation, there is this inherent shift where estrogen and progesterone really inhibit you from using carbohydrate because it's going to the endometrial lining. Mm. And progesterone is very catabolic. So it breaks down everything, including lean mass. So when we're looking at what do we do to maintain mood and performance after ovulation, we need to increase the total amount of carbohydrates that we're eating in a day. And we also need to increase our protein because that supports both our health and our training, as well as the development of the endometrial lining. So when we're looking at things like carbo loading, where people are like, oh, I got to really, you know, taper down and then bring up all my carbs. It doesn't work for women because our metabolism is different. We can't store as much carbohydrate as men, especially in the high hormone phase. So if we want to be able to do high intensities or do something that is more tempo, especially as we're approaching our period, we have to eat more carbohydrate because we need to have more of that carbohydrate available. And again, on the whole thing with the mood and tissue building, we need to have that protein coming in. So it also works with the way your body's metabolism comes up. So you can afford to eat more because your body needs more carbohydrate, needs more protein, needs more calories. So, okay, if we have been training for a marathon and that marathon falls, say, um, five days before your period in that phase, you know, I know you talk about how like you can still perform well on those days. Um, Do you treat that carb loading that you mentioned or your fueling on race day differently than you would if you were to run that race seven days later, day two of your period? Yes, inherently, yes. So to be able to maintain the same pace and to feel really well, if we are doing a race about five days before our period starts, we want to make sure that we have more carbohydrate available. So we are upping our carbohydrate in the seven days before at every meal. We are looking at having more like Juju's or Mike and Ike's or Cliff Blocks or whatever you're using for quick hits of carbohydrate on race day. You're doing more of those if you're five days before. Yes. Your body needs more. Exactly. If we're running on like day two of the period, right, and we're in that follicular phase, then we have the availability of, of really getting into our carbohydrate stores better. So we don't have to focus so much on increasing our carbohydrate intake in the few days leading up to it. And on race day itself, it's more about hydration with some carbohydrate because we don't have to eat as much to keep ourselves going at pace, but we do have to have stuff coming in to be able to maintain blood glucose in order to keep pace. It's a, just a small inherent shift from carbohydrate availability. So in the low hormone, it's easier to access carbohydrate. And in the high hormone, it's really difficult. So we have to supply more through the food that we're eating in in our meals, as well as on race day, supplying more as we are running. Wow. I I actually did run my marathon PR on day one of my period, um, which you know, now that I've know all this, I'm like, well, no wonder you were able to run well. Like if you're on day one, you probably felt good. Um, but I think one of my biggest things is like not wanting to people to get in their head too much about it. You know what I yes. mean? You know, you don't need to like plan your entire race schedule around when your period's going to happen. And so if we can just know how to fuel for where we are in the phase, we'll be fine. Exactly. And this, I think this is the conversation that's not really out. Um, so there's like all these discussions in sports science where there's no difference between menstrual cycle phase. Oh, yes, there is a difference. And it comes down to looking at the research that people are quoting. So if we look at training, we can train according to the menstrual cycle. And we know that, you know, you want to deload in those days before your period starts. But when we're looking at performance, performance on the day, there's no difference because there's so many other variables that come into play that can supersede the hormonal changes. So we're not looking to kind of maximize or minimize that hormone perturbation on performance day. But to really enhance performance, we have to take care of our nutrition, regardless of where you are. So it comes back to you have to be eating enough when you're training 
And you have to make sure that you are topping up and aware of what phase you're in so that you can modify the carbohydrate you need on the day of the race. And those are all the I for improving that top 2% on race day, which everyone's striving to get. So, you know, I feel like a lot of dietitians will say like you take in calories every 45 minutes on a, during a marathon and so someone takes, say, like one gel or whatever that is. I feel like people get really confused about like, how much more do I really need? And um, I don't know. It's just like a lot to think about. It is. You know, and and like trial and error too in training because you're going to be at different phases in your cycle for different long runs. And you got to practice that if you're five days before your period on a long run leading up to the race. Yeah, and it does sound confusing, but in full disclosure, we just finished writing the female athlete position stand for a nutrition society. So I'm like really like, okay, I know what that literature says. So if we look for women, if you are in the low hormone phase and you're going to do a long endurance race, you need 30 to 40 grams of carbohydrate for every hour that you're running. Okay. That's it. Not a lot. Because that keeps your blood sugar going and it keeps you going. When we get into the high hormone phase, we're closer to that 50 gram mark. When you start getting 60 and above, this is when we start to see lots of GI disturbances mm. because we have slower gut transit time. So we digest things slower than men. And we have a slight difference in how we absorb carbohydrate. And a lot of dietitians will backlash against that. No, there's no sex difference. It's like, yes, when you look at the physiology within the small intestines where everything is absorbed, we have slower gut transit time and women can't handle fructose as well as men, which is almost in every sports product. So I tell women, don't use gels because that is a, a very like, concentrated carbohydrate that's going to come into the small intestines. It's not going to get out very quickly. And what happens is it hangs out there and we have water that comes from other spaces of the body to dilute it before it gets absorbed. It's better to use things like jelly beans or Mike and Ike's or the energy chews because there's smaller amounts of carbohydrate that's coming into the small intestines and it gets out faster and gets absorbed better. So you maintain a better even keel of energy which is really essential because we need to maintain our blood glucose. We're not looking at tapping into our muscle and liver stores and then topping up. We're looking at, okay, we need to get it into the blood really quickly because we know that women use more carbohydrate, especially if it's coming in through food than men do. So when we bring it back down to the basics, low hormone phase, your body's really good at around 30 to 40 grams per hour. High hormone phase, 50 to 60, but don't go over the 60 because this is where we start to have GI problems. Mm, even it doesn't matter what hour you're on. No. Nope. Um, what about like really long cycles? Like I have a long cycle. I know you mentioned 25 to 40 days is relatively normal. Um, and 28 is like what doctors will say. Um, yeah. But if you have a really long cycle, what mm -hmm. phase are you hanging out in longer? The follicular phase, which is – Good for performance okay? because it's the low hormone phase. So the luteal phase is really spot on between 12 and 14 days. That part doesn't change. When your cycle lengthens, it's lengthening the follicular phase because the body's really trying to prime itself to have a really fantastic egg. Oh, man. So it's really <laughs> trying to get your body to be um, resilient to stress, trying to really develop that egg. So the longer the cycle is, the more you have this development stage for the egg. So it's, it's you know, really trying to fight off virus bacteria. It is um, allowing you to hit high intensities and recover well. So it's that follicular phase that's, that's lengthening. If you have a very short cycle on the other side of things, it ends up being more the luteal phase that's being affected because you haven't ovulated and we have what we call a luteal phase defect. So not enough progesterone. So you start to slough off that, that endometrial lining fast. So long phase, I often tell people, Hey, that's great. Cause you have more time to train hard. Um, but if we start getting really short phases, then we want to investigate why. 
Is it because you have more anovulatory cycles or are you just short phase because your body's like, hey, I have really great eggs. I don't need a really long time to like develop it and then ovulate. So long phase, good. Shorter phases, we need to look a little bit. So does this conversation with the high hormones and the low hormones, like does this even apply if you're on a birth control? Uh, completely, almost completely different story. Yeah. So if we're looking at hormone contraception and we're looking at the oral contraceptive pill, which tends to be the most used, yeah, we have a little bit of a different skew. So if we're looking at low and high hormone phase and training, the first five days of the active pill is very similar to mid follicular of a natural cycle where we can hit it hard. But after five days, our body has accumulated enough of that exogenous hormone or that external hormone to have a higher baseline level. And then the next two and a half weeks of the active pills, we have reduced recovery for every day that we are using those pills because we're having a big surge of hormone every time you take it, it starts to come down another big surge, but these are greater pulses and larger amount of hormone than what we have in our natural cycle. And then by day two of the placebo pill, where everything comes off and you're in your withdrawal bleed, those hormones have dropped back down and now you're like you're in the follicular phase. So instead of having a low hormone phase and a high hormone phase, it's like low, big bunch of high, low. So mm-hmm. the low is bookending the high instead of preceding it. So you can still structure your training around it. It just is going to look different than someone yep. with a more natural cycle. And then let's hit on IUD real quick. Yeah. The IUD um, is actually one of my preferred uh, contraceptive methods for athletes. Because if we're looking at using a progestin only, so the Keylar, the Skylar, the Marina, it's a very localized dose of progestin. So it directly affects the uterine lining, the mucus of the cervix, all to be inhospitable to sperm. But what it does not do is it does not downregulate your natural hormones. So you still have a cycle. Mm. Your um, ovaries are still producing estrogen. You can still ovulate after about six months of insertion. And you can track your cycle by using basal body temperature. And then once you dial in basal body temperature, if you really, really want to know, you can use an over-the-counter ovulation predictor kit and then you can dial in your cycle. Um, If you're looking at the implant or the depot, it is somewhat similar, but not quite as good for tracking as an IUD. But with an IUD, you also have a great availability of tracking and training with your cycle. All right, everybody, have you heard about Relay yet? I am so excited to join this team of amazing people putting out a collection of some of the best running content out there. We're gonna do podcasts, essays, book clubs, videos, and live videos as well with Relay. We have Kara Goucher, Peter Bromka, Zoe Rom, Mike Kafuzi, Stephanie Flippin, Carolyn Sue, Marcus Brown, Matt Chittam, and myself coming together to provide interesting and exciting content in the running space. It's all on Patreon, patreon.com slash relay. For $9 a month, you're going to get over 20 pieces a month over there. So that's patreon.com slash relay. For those wondering if I still have my own personal Patreon page, I do. And I will record episodes every month with my husband, Glenn, a little inside peek in our lives. But that is a more holistic Sandy Boy Productions Patreon page, not necessarily specific to all have another. So there's two different things going on there. We would love if you would join us over on Patreon, patreon.com slash relay. So much good content that's going to be coming out on that page. All right, friends, enjoy the rest of my conversation with Dr. Stacy Sims. Do you ever get sick of talking about periods? <laughs> No, I think my daughter gets sick of me talking about them, though. <laughs> well, I was just thinking when she, you, everybody listening, if you're not watching on video, she just came up and Stacy's just braiding her hair while we're talking. And I was like, this is so perfect. I love it so much. But talk about a daughter who is going to be educated on what's going on inside her body. 
Yeah, and she thinks that that's normal, and then she has conversations with her friends, and her friends are like, oh, what, huh? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, like, she's all prepared. She has, like, her first, like, period undies kit. Ready to go. Because she wanted it when she was, Aww. I think she was eight, so it's been in the top of her closet. Yeah, but, um, yeah, I kind of feel like she might get harassed when she gets <laughs> a little bit older, but maybe not. At least Hopefully we not. know she won't just be stealing tampons from you. She's going to know what's going on. Right, exactly. I'm waiting for her to like call me up from a friend's house. Hi, mom, my period just started. <laughs> um, so let's wrap that part of the conversation up with a like basic advice you would give someone who doesn't want to feel overwhelmed, but wants yeah. to take control over training throughout their cycle and doing the best they can without being like, oh my gosh, no, I feel like I have to do this, this, this. Exactly. The one big rock to do is track your cycle. Mm. And it's not just going day one, day two, day three. It's like tracking and against your training. Like, how do you feel? And how was your sleep? Because we'll start to see patterns within three cycles. And then when you see your own individual pattern, you can dial in your training. So what I've discussed is, is like the general big picture, right? But within it, everyone's individual in their own cycle. So if you are tracking and you're like, hey, you know, day three on my cycle, I always feel super flat. Well, then you know that that's your individual pattern and you're not going to do something hard on that day. Unless, of course, it's a race. But then we know that you can put things into play to make you feel better. Um, and I think that gets lost in the conversation where everyone's like, wait, but I don't feel that way on this day. OK, maybe it's a few days before or after but what we know is a general scope of how women's bodies respond. But if you're tracking your own cycle and you start to see your own patterns, that gives you so much objective information mm. to be able to dial in the days and get rid of that negative self-talk that we have so often. If we go try to do a hard workout and we feel like crap and we're like, what did I do wrong? I'm not fit enough. I'm not strong enough. I didn't eat well. I didn't sleep well. But if it happens to fall on the day where you always feel flat, you're like, oh, I know why. It's my hormones. It's making me feel this way. Okay, I have a feeling I know what you're going to say to this. I had an athlete ask this, and um, I think I've heard of other doctors doing this. People will, people's doctors will actually prescribe something to skip their period on the month of their big race or their wedding day or whatever it is. What's your response to that? Well, I get in these conversations in one of the working groups I'm in because we are a collab of sociologists, endocrinologists, human performance physiologists. And so I sit on that line of health and performance. So from a uh, like an athletic point of view, I'm like, why are you doing that? Because we're adding some external hormones that will completely downregulate your natural cycle. And even if it is just for one day or one race, the repercussions of then coming off, we might have uh, androgen insensitivity where all of a sudden you have this boost of testosterone and everything's a bit crazy, or you might end up really knocking back your luteinizing hormone. And then we can't really see how you're responding to training and life stress. Because if we start to perturb the menstrual cycle, then we can't really keep track of the stress. But then from the health point of view and talking to endocrinologists, they're like, it's no big deal. It's not going to affect things. It's like, well, yeah, it's a it's a six of one, I guess. But for me, I would always be like, hey, let's look at some alternatives to be able to shift your cycle. We know that it's all based on an inflammatory response. So if we can change that inflammatory response and we have three cycles to do it, then we can shift your your period. We can shift it away from the days that you want without using hormonal contraception. And then for women who are just um, skipping the withdrawal week and just going pill pack, pill pack, pill pack. It's not going to be detrimental to fertility if you don't have any other issues before you start taking the pill. But from a performance and training point of view, you're always going to be in that high hormone, higher stressed state. So you're not actually achieving your performance potential, nor can we see how you were training and adapting to the training stress if we're using OCs. Um, so it is a health versus a performance standpoint, and it really comes down to the individual and what the individual needs and wants are. But I try to really explain 
what's happening from that exogenous hormone to be like, okay, so this is what's happening. And it's up to you to make the choice of what you want to do for the big picture. This is kind of a broad question, but why is like when I, I was on birth control for one year, like a gazillion years ago, and it really took a lot for me to get back to my norm once I got off. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I was like five months out and I still didn't have my period back. And then a doctor diagnosed me with polycystic ovarian syndrome, which I really didn't have. I just, my hormones were all off and I couldn't get regulated again. Um, and then another doctor gave me a medicine to induce a period. And I slowly just made my way back to my regular cycle, which has been regular now for 15 years. But why do some of us, like why are some of us so much more sensitive than others when it comes to those hormones? Um, so when we're looking at, at the ratios of estrogen, progesterone, and even testosterone, we have perturbances in those ratios. When you start taking an oral contraceptive pill, it do, really depends on what the formulation is. So if we have a uh, progestin that is a second or third generation, it is derived from testosterone and it's highly androgenic. So your body gets used to having this higher testosterone derivative and it changes the ratios of that estrogen progesterone because it's now synthetic and your receptors in your body that are attuned and sensitive to all the hormones get used to that level. So then when you come off it, you can have a rebound and your body is like, wait, I'm not producing as much or I'm not as sensitive. So you have this change in the sensitivity of those um, hormone receptors and the ratio of your own natural estrogen progesterone is different than what those oral contraceptive pills were doing. And so it takes a while for you to gain the sensitivity back in those receptor sites as your body's trying to adjust to its own natural ratios of hormones, its own pulsatility. And if you get on an oral contraceptive pill and you're starting to have some side effects and your doctor's like, oh, they'll dissipate. No, really question it. Mm. Because if you're having side effects, then that means that the progestin component of that oral contraceptive pill is not right for you. And you need to look at changing it. So your work has been women are not small men. If people yeah. listening have probably listened to your TED Talk. If not, we'll obviously link it in the show notes. Um, but what is your message to women about their training? It's the same thing. Women are not small men. <laughs> <laughs> because when we look at the protocols of training and we look at the periodization models of training, they're all male data oriented and they don't take the immune system and the psychological aspects and all the other physiological aspects that women go through. And we're starting to address that in sports science. We're starting to look at, well, what is it about the, the recovery between sets? Like women don't need as much recovery between sets because we're more endurance and we want to do more power-based training if we want better um, outcomes. So if we're looking at what are we doing from a, a resistance training perspective, we have to rethink about our recovery between sets. What are you trying to do? Are we trying to build power and explosiveness and speed? Yes, shorten up the, the recovery between because we're really endurance. We don't need that much recovery. But if we're looking at hypertrophy, well, that's a different story because we are already so attuned to going long and slow that our hypertrophy sets, we need to think about, we don't need as the 15 to 20, we might need 50. So there's all these different things that are starting to come out with regards to specificity in training for women. So because it's still so new in the research, this is where you come back to, you want to understand your body. So track your cycle and know that you can go hard. So it might be a day where you go into the gym and you're like, I feel fantastic. This is a power and speed day. And I'm going to hit the weights and I'm going to do the power and speed and shorten up my recovery and get more out of it. So it's really individual for you at the moment as a woman until coaching and science starts to come up and catch up. But right now we know that the coaching and the models are 30 or 40 years old and they're still lagging behind a lot of people are married to a training plan. They are like, this is what my training plan says. This is what I'm going to do. If someone's at the gym and they show up and they feel like what you were saying they feel, but that hard workout is the next day, would you say go on and do your hard workout if you feel like that? Like if you feel yep. great, great today? 
Yep. Absolutely. Switch it up. Switch it up. Because like when I write training programs, I always have it in my head that the athlete's going to do about 80% of what I write. And I want them to switch it up. Mm. So if they then send me notes going, I did tomorrow's workout today because I felt fantastic. I'm yeah. Like, Great. Good. Yeah. Fantastic. Take advantage of that physiology because when we're training, we're trying to maximize the stress our body's under and recover from it because that's how we get fitter. So if we're like, I feel really great today, but I'm supposed to go easy. And then the day that's a hard day, you feel flat. You can't hit the intensities and you can't hit the metrics that you want to for that hard day. You lose a huge window of training adaptation. So it's really important to be able to switch it up a little bit according to how you feel, especially if you can overlay your individual pattern of your menstrual cycle over it. Gosh, I think that people struggle with that so much because they just want to know on Tuesday, I'm doing my speed work. And I mean, I will say that's why those impromptu workouts where you're like, you're just going out for an easy run, but you do this like super sick progression run feel so good because you did that because your body felt good and you listened to your body. Yeah. But a lot of runners are type A and they want to follow a plan and do exactly what the plan says on the day. Listen to your body, people. Yeah, I know. And I mean, like a lot of times track group track workouts on Tuesday Mm -hmm. or Thursday, right? And if it happens to fall in the five days before your period starts, you can show up, but hit the back. Don't try to hit those intensities. Work more on mobilization and running skills and drills. If it's sets of 800s, maybe you're doing six instead of eight. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have to individualize to your body because it's you and your performance. If you're trying to get better, don't do what your friend is doing, especially if it's a guy, because he's not your body. And I think we get lost in that because we get so used to someone telling us what to do and what metrics. And we've lost that whole mind-body connection, same as if we've lost that whole what it means to be hungry. And we have to pull it back because we don't have enough robust science right now to really write those programs for women that they just have to wrote to follow. Um, So Stacey and I are going to discuss perimenopause and menopause in another episode. But uh, for the sake of this episode, since we have mostly been talking about women who are still premenopausal, um, having regular cycles, what would you say is the best complementary exercise workout we should be doing as runners? Strength training. Like I come from a very long history of endurance. Like I did cross country. I did crew. I did ultra running. I did Ironman, professional bike racing, Xterra, all that kind of stuff. And the main thing all the way through is strength training. Because when I was in high school, one of my really good friend's brothers was into bodybuilding. And she's like, come to the gym with me. And it was like us two little teenage girls in with all these dudes. But strength training across the board, we know really helps with balance, proprioception, strength, injury prevention. And these are all the things that runners lack for the most part. From road running to trail running, short, long, doesn't matter. We get into a running mode and we're just uniplanar. We're just going one direction. If we throw in some plyometric work, we throw in some resistance training, it significantly improves our durability and our ability to go faster. And we get into this mindset, I'm just doing speed work, that's gonna make me faster. But it's not gonna make you faster if you're not changing the elasticity of your muscles through plyometrics. If you're not challenging in a different direction, you're not gonna get faster. And do those specific workouts you recommend look different when you're premenopausal than peri and menopause? And yeah, yeah. Are, are we doing more endurance? Or are we doing more like heavy, heavy lifting when we're pre? When we're pre, we can get away with lighter lifting okay. and more mobilization, but we want to put in the fast explosiveness. Okay. So it can be um, like moderate lifting and some box jumps okay. or something to that effect or, you know, jumping lunges. But when we get into peri and post and we start to lose the, the hormones that are helping us build tissue and keep our body composition, it's a different story because we're trying to find an external stress that's going to stimulate the body to adapt how the hormones used to help us. All right, friends, if you are peri or postmenopausal, don't worry. We'll, we'll get to you in the next one. Um, Stacy. you have uh, the micro learning coming out. Tell, tell us what you have going on. Yeah, so um, micro learning comes on the 
on the back of some of our bigger courses. So we have like the big courses where the women are not small men as women throughout the lifespan. We have menopause for athletes, which is specific for peri and postmenopause. But then the micro learnings are 45 minutes to an hour of a deep dive of a conversation that a lot of people ask questions about, like, how do I know what's the right protein powder for me? How do I read the label? And for me, I want someone to go to any shop, pick up any protein and read the back and know exactly what's in it and if it's appropriate for them. So that's what the micro learning does. It does like the science, it does a deep dive and it gives you the application of how to actually um, access it and use it for you. So we do collagen, collagen supplements, protein. We have one on iron. We have one on hot and cold with sauna and cold water immersion. Um, gosh, low energy availability. Uh, we have one coming out on hydration. I'm doing one on intermittent fasting and fasting, all those kinds of things. So yeah, we're always adding every about two months. We have a new one that comes out. So cool. Um, and you don't have to buy all of them. You can buy whatever one you want. If you want to have a little taste and the other one, I think we have is menstrual cycle tracking for natural OC and IUD. So yeah, keep nice. a look. Take a look at com. What's the website? That's, nice. That's it. Nice, nice. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for all this wonderful information. And I can't wait to have you back on to hit those other two topics we mentioned. Yes, that'll be fun. Thanks. All right, everybody. Thanks for being here today. Again, go check out Stacy's micro learning courses at drstacysims.com. You can use the code Lindsay for 20% off any of those courses. Don't forget to go check out the newest project I've been working on with some incredible humans, patreon.com slash relay. And you all can find Dr. Stacy on Instagram. She is Dr. Stacy Sims over there. You can find me. I am Lindsay Hine 626. I'm also on Twitter at Lindsay Hine. And we have a Facebook group. We'd love to have you join. It's just called I'll Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. Thanks for being here. I'm so thankful for each of you. Have a great rest of your day, a wonderful Friday, a wonderful weekend. And as always, we'll see you next Friday. <laughs>